You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Notice that the prophet's pretty serious here. He says, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Notice this. You, uh, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judge, judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with the wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and to not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. You take away the yoke from your midst, the the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your uh, light uh, will rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. And make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. And notice this, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Let's pray. Lord, these 14 verses, God, I pray that they will bore down into our hearts, that they will change us, Lord, from the inside out. God, we want to be pleasing unto you. We, we want to make a difference. The men and women in this room, God, are, are faithful But Lord, we know that there is more for us to do. Help us to be a church and a people pleasing unto you. And show us in your word today how that is possible. Oh, Spirit of God, move in this place. Shake us up, Lord. Let us see what we must see. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, it's a hard question, but it's a necessary one. Is your life pleasing unto God. How would you answer that? The goal of every Christ follower is to live life as God 
pleases. And quite frankly, the only way to please God is to be satisfied in Jesus, our theme for Missions Week. To please God, we must be satisfied in Jesus. And for the past several weeks, we have talked about what it means for God's people to be gathered. And today, what we want to do is talk about the gathered people of God, what we need to do individually to make sure that we're doing our part. Yes, it's about the body of Christ, but each one of you play a part in that body. You are a a functional element in the larger body. But to be functional, we need to be spiritual. We need to make sure that our lives are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I believe here this week in Missions Week, we have an opportunity to learn about fasting so that we can be the church members that God wants us to be and we can be the church God is asking us to be. When we talk about the church, obviously we are always in growth mode. We want to always be in growth mode. We want to see people coming to church and joining and being a part of it. But one of the things I think we're seeing and sensing as a congregation, as much as we want to see more people coming to church, we want to see the people coming to church digging deeper into their faith. We want you to grow. We want you to get stronger in the Lord. And though that kind of growth is harder to measure, it is necessary. And fasting is a way for us to grow in this way, to grow inside of our hearts so that we can be the people of God. I want you to think of it this way. Fasting in particular is a way that God connects the worship we do with the ministry we do. We need a bridge between what we do here on Sunday, what you do in your private worship, and then what we're called to do in the community and in the world. It is fasting, in my view, that connects the vertical of worship with the horizontal of ministry. That's why we need to talk about this from time to time. If we are going to be effective, we need to be great worshipers of God, but we also need to be great evangelists and missionaries. And we have to find a way to feed the passions and feed the power of ministry. Fasting is the way to go. It is a bridge to deeper spiritual truth and that spirit-filled ministry. It is foundational for effective mission work. So let me just state that right up front. If we are serious about reaching the nations, all these flags and many more besides, with all the peoples and people groups around the world, if we are serious about really being a Great Commission church, we must be a church that is willing to fast. Now, let me draw your attention to the text in Isaiah 58, verse 1. I want you to realize that the call to fast is not to just the elites. It's a call to all the people. Notice that in verse 1. Notice that it's an urgent calling because the prophet speaks of crying out. I want you to realize that as we meet together for Missions Week, though it's an exciting week, it's a fun time to catch up with our friends and partners around the world and locally, the reality is we ought to gather together and have a sense of desperation because there are so many people in the world today that do not know Christ. There are entire villages, entire people groups that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we gather together to get worked up about that, to get excited about that. But all of the excitement in the world isn't going to be enough to cause us to change the world. What we have to have is the power of God working through us. 
fasting will connect us with that power. And now, as we think about fasting today, I want you to realize Jesus really doesn't give us an option. He doesn't say, if you fast, in Matthew 6, he says, when you fast. We are commanded by Jesus to do this, but we need to do it right. And we need to make sure that our faith is true. Isaiah 56 through 59 is a passage of scripture that warns us about false religion. So be warned, the devil knows how powerful a a Christian is and a church is that's fasting unto God. The devil knows the power that you can connect to and access through fasting. Therefore, he wants to distort what it means theologically, but he also wants us to misapply it in our lives. That's why this is so important today, and that's why we must look first at fasting as being more than a religious form. Make no mistake, we do not want to fast just because someone like me, like the pastor says we ought to fast, so we ought to fast. We need to be more circumspect. We need to be more careful. We need to watch our hearts here because when it comes to fasting, it is a part of what we do, but we don't talk about it enough, I'm afraid. And therefore, we're, we're kind of thinking sometimes it's like a fringe thing. In other words, I think many people approach fasting like this. Well, I come to church and I give my tithe and I go to a small group, but fasting seems a little bit extreme. Well, it kind of is, because most of us aren't used to missing meals. So right there, it's extreme. It's extreme because it's in the American culture telling you to not do something that you want to do. And as Americans, we don't like anybody telling us what to do or not to do. You know, just ask Britain. We just don't like being bossed around. But God's word, God's word is telling us here that it's something that we need. I want you to know it's not a fringe part of what we do, church. It is an important part of your walk with Jesus. You need to be serious about this because fasting opens up a window to our soul. We need to realize that when we are fasting, we are opening up the window. This time of year, it's wonderful, isn't it? You can kind of open up your window and let some fresh air in. Fasting is kind of like that. We open up the window of our soul and a fresh breeze can blow in. That's what God wants to do. It lets us see inside the mystery and get a good reading on the intentions of our heart. So it opens up a window where we are able to be more um, uh, introspective. We're able to think more about what's going on in our hearts. And if our religion is superficial, fasting will reveal it. So notice this. It opens up a window and lets in some fresh air, but it shows us where we're stale. When we're fasting, God begins to speak to us and show us elements of our faith that we have not been maintaining, that we've been neglectful of. It's kind of like, I think fasting, what it'll do is it'll turn on those uh, lights on your dashboard. If there's a problem somewhere in the system, it begins to uh, unveil that, to reveal it to you. And the language of Isaiah 58, it begins with so much warning. Notice it's speaking of people with false religion. Verse 1 speaks of transgressors. Now, I want you to realize that sin manifests itself in many ways. You all know this. Many times your sins will manifest in terms of anger, covetousness, adultery, murder. But did you know, according to this, sometimes our rebellion is expressed through religious observance. Sometimes we are putting a mask on, on, on our lives with religion. We go to church, we're involved, we make people think that we've got our lives together, but we're not doing anything on the inside. 
That is, in a nutshell, exactly what Israel was doing when Isaiah, in the 8th century, points this out. He says to God's people, you're going to church or temple, you're worshiping God, you're going through all the forms, but you are sick at heart. And I want to ask you right now this morning, when was the last time you really looked inside of your heart? When was the last time you probed your deepest motivations? If you were to be honest with yourself this morning, what are you seeing in your heart? What's your motivation for church, for ministry, for anything? We need to realize that one of the most dangerous places to be is to be fake toward God. We cannot afford to be fake toward God. You can fake me out. You can fake out your spouse, but you cannot fake out God. Israel was behaving like a righteous nation, according to verse 2, but they were anything but. What was the tell? What was the giveaway that they were dead inside? Well, verses 3 and 4 unpack that. They, uh, they fasted, and yet they don't see anything. They humble themselves, but take no advantage of it. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. So notice this, we fast to know the will of God, but these people are fasting and yet still trying to find their pleasure. And notice this, they oppress workers. They're at the end of verse 3. They quarrel and fight. Notice all of that. That doesn't sound very good, does it? So these are people who thought that they were a righteous nation, but their, their hearts were not exhibiting, their, their lives were not exhibiting righteousness. So going to church, playing the religious game, and then acting like everybody else. You see, I think that's a pretty good uh, picture of the church today because the truth is many people who go to church, really other than their Sunday morning routine, the world would look at them and say, well, I don't know that I see any difference in you Monday through Saturday. That's the problem in Israel. You have people who know the right things to say. They're all about big church, big growth, all the things that are good, and yet there is spiritual ugliness down deep inside. Jesus had this same problem with the Pharisees, brothers and sisters. These were people who were seeking after their own pleasure, even with religion. They were using their position of spiritual authority to make it in the world, to get what they wanted. None of this is okay. They were not loving God well. They were not loving other people well. And when you are seeking your own desires, there's no way there's room in your heart to be seeking the love of God and loving other people well. It's right here in the text. Verses 3 and 4, and in particular 4, look at this. These individuals are fasting and going to church, and yet they're oppressing workers, they're quarreling, they're getting into fist fights. Let me just say this. Um, this is a profound truth. It is never good when a fast ends in a fist fight. You know, if you need quotable Jeremy, there it is, right? I mean... Think about it, but that's what the text is saying. These people are claiming to be religious, and yet it's leading them to act in the most ugly ways. Now, I get it. I mean, when I'm hungry, and we've even coined a term for it in our culture, we're hangry. You know, you heard that before, that you're hangry? Well, these people are hangry, and they're getting into fights. Listen, you've totally missed the point of a fast if your relationships with people are getting worse. 
I'm here to tell you, when God begins to stir, I've seen it so many times in my life, and I hope you'll experience it too. When you get closer to God, there will be brokenness in your heart because you'll begin to realize those relationships in your life where you have done harm. And God will make you go and make amends. The only way to grow in this world is to own our sin, to tell people that we're sorry, and to ask God to forgive us and move us forward. We need this. We need it desperately in our community, in our church. The church will only grow when we are willing to admit our faults to one another. If we have failed one another, that is inevitable that we have. But what happens is, is we don't make it right with our brothers and sisters. We must make sure that as we fast, we are open to the reality that when God breaks our hearts about a relationship that is broken, that we do something about it. Fasting is necessary to open up this door of relationship but I'm telling you if we do fasting wrong it can do great harm it's interesting fasting done wrong opens up a door to hell fasting done right opens up a door to heaven that's how serious this is we have to make sure that we are humbling ourselves because if we don't we will do damage our hearts off the mark will do harm to other hearts the church cannot afford to be a place where we are bringing people in and only harming their hearts. It happens. So let me ask you this, is the condition of your heart bringing healing to other people's hearts or is the condition of your heart doing harm? Friends, we need to think about where we stand. Sackcloth and ashes won't do it. We must truly humble our hearts. We must make sure that we get to that right place where God wants us. And so think of it this way. We fast so we can focus. We give up food that we may gain more of God. So let's talk about what that looks like. Fasting is a letting go and a gathering up. I would encourage you to listen to the sermon that I, I preached this last Wednesday about pouring out poison. Uh, if you listen to that sermon, you'll see that what we were talking about there is, yes, part of the spiritual life is what we get rid of, but as we're going to see in this point here today, it's not just what we get rid of, what are we filling our hearts back up with? You know, the, the heart cannot just stay empty or neutral. We're either going to fill it with good things or bad things. So fasting is an opportunity. It's a, a little bit of a, a quicker route to emptying out the negative, but we must make sure that once we give up the negative, we are pouring in the positive. Look at verse 6. A heart in proper posture toward God will discover how fasting can loose the bonds of wickedness. Notice this. Undo the straps of the yoke, letting the oppressed go free. A proper fast sets us free from sin. So when we are, when we are fasting properly, then what happens there is, is that we begin to be set free. Our hearts become free of sin. We walk away from sin. We begin to bless those who need it. Notice verse 7 speaks of the hungry and the homeless. You see, proper fasting will lead us to fight against injustice in the world and cause us to relieve the burdens and pains of the oppressed. So notice this, fasting is amazing. It sets us free from our sin proclivity, but it then opens a door for us to then reach the oppressed. We look around the world today, and especially our young people today are crying out, what about these injustices in the world? The only way that we are going to make a dent in all the injustices in the world is to be filled with the Spirit of God. 
We must be hungry for God. And only then, when we are hungry for God, will we help the hungry and the homeless and the oppressed. I want to tell you, the heart of God is aimed in the direction of the neediest people. And I'm not just talking about those who are hungry and thirsty in a physical sense. But God cares for the neediest people around the world. I think of the people in Africa that I've met in the last few weeks that have great need. God loves them. But I think of the people in Europe that I've met over the years who are three or four or five generations away from a healthy church and any Christian relationship. They are needy as well. The needs are tremendous. And the heart of God is concerned about those individuals, but he's calling us to care for them. And it is fasting that helps us love God and love others on a higher level. Oh, we need that. We need to know. Verse 8 tells us, it paints the picture of light and healing and righteousness, of God's own glory bursting forth uh, out of a fasting heart. Now listen to this, a fasting heart may be hungry, but it can hear God more clearly. Now let me just ask you this. Uh, many of you in this room, you, you love Jesus, you are a confessing Christian, but I want to ask you this question. Are, are you hungry? Are you desirous of knowing God more intimately? Do you want to hear his voice more clearly? Well, fasting is the way. That's how we hear God more clearly. That's how we know that, that he is at work around us. It gives us the ability to pour into the afflicted. Look at verse 10. It helps us to bring refreshment to scorched places. Look at verse 11. And it also helps us to be like a garden, a watered garden, bringing refreshment to souls. Even it helps us to build up walls that have been broken down, according to verse 12. True love for the afflicted will only spring from a heart familiar with spiritual affliction. I want you to think about this for a moment. Some of us have gone through some difficulties in our lives. We, we have hurt. We have been hurt before. And, and those negative things in your life, I don't want to ever make them sound like they're okay. But notice this. Sometimes before we can truly care for the hurting soul, we have to have some idea of what hurt feels like. And I want you to know that your journey in life, your struggles, as well as your victories, can help you be the person God wants you to be today. Fasting, when we do it right, lets us put down our anxieties and care for those in great peril. I kind of like this garden illustration that Isaiah gives us. I'm not much of a gardener, but I do know this. If you are a, a, even a halfway decent gardener and you have any size garden at all, it's always going to produce more fruit than you can eat yourself. And if, I, if we take this analogy and bring it into the spiritual realm, fasting is, is planting a spiritual garden. And if you do it right, if you do it right, what God will feed you with will be so much in abundance. What he'll bless you with in the harvest will be in so much abundance that you will have no other option but to share it with others. And I want to ask you, when was the last time that you felt an abundance of spiritual blessing? That you, were, you felt the blessings of God so richly that you just knew down deep in your heart that you had to share it with others. You see, that's what fasting can do for us. It makes us realize how much God has given us and how much we need to give to the world. I'm telling you, the world is homesick for God. J.H. Bavink said that, that the world is homesick for God. They just don't know it. But they need you to be the full person in Christ that you are called to be. 
to be this sort of a minister, you, you have to walk away from sin and selfishness. Verses 6 and 7 told us that. Listen to this. Your heart must be set free so you can go up and gather up the nations for Christ. Jesus saved you from your sins, but will you let him save you from your anxieties? I could probably spend the rest of our time talking about this right here because I think this is it. I think this is probably the reason why the American church is not reaching the world for Jesus as it could. I think we are a culture that is weighed down by fear and anxiety. I think that, that we are uh, defeated most days because we are not spending time with God and feeding on Him and filling our hearts with the good things of God. When we try to placate our anxieties with things of this world, all we do is make the matter worse. All we do is complicate the equation. The only way that we are going to be a people who are able to reach the world for Jesus is if we will come to Jesus and remember that he saved us from our sins and he's saving us every day from our anxieties. Some of you, what you're feeding on every day is more anxiety uh, in terms of your meals, in terms of your sustenance, it's more about anxiety than it is about the power of God. And I believe for this reason, this, what, what, what makes it funny, if not ironic, is that a true fast has very little to do with food. It really is not about food. It's about the focus of your heart. It's about remembering that it's, it's your call in life to love souls because God loves souls. Fasting does cause us to be a little bit hungry, but it helps us love souls more. It helps us to be fruitful. It helps us to be thoughtful about the needs around us. But ultimately, fasting is the fast lane to God's way. Now, I almost hesitated to put it this way because it seems like we're always looking for the microwavable way to get to God. You know, instead of the, the slow cook, we want the microwaved meal, right? And I don't want to give you that impression, but I do believe there's some truth here in verses 13 and 14, some absolute powerful truth that can change us. As we look at this passage here as it ends, it is odd that verses 13 and 14 switch gears and go from fasting to Sabbath. Obviously in the church today, we, we worship on Sundays. We don't think of Sabbath in quite the same way because Jesus is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. But the concept of Sabbath is still operative in the church today. And so if we think about all the things that we've, we've discussed in Isaiah 58, we've had warnings about improper fasting. We've seen the power that is inherent in true fasting. But then we come to this reality. If we are going to make a difference for God, we must not be a restless people. And that seems to be our issue. Now, this week, with our focus on missions, we bring in our missionary partners, and I want to tell you, praise God, they're restless people. They, they tend to be restless people and energetic. And that's okay, but I want to warn them and warn us. We need to be careful that our restlessness doesn't lead to burnout. Restlessness often is because what we're doing, we're worried about being successful. We're worried about, and listen, it can even be for good things. Like, when I say I want to be successful, that means I want to see people come to know Jesus, right? But if I forget about the sovereignty of God and I think it's all up to me, then I get restless. I'm going to work myself to death. I'm going to keep trying to do more, 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 me, me, me. But listen, the power of God is not in that sort of restlessness. 
We cannot do more. We need more of God. The self-centered soul is ever restless, but the Christ-centered soul can be on mission, not self-centered. And I just want to encourage you today, if you this week start to get something stirring in your heart for a mission field, to go on mission, that's fine. But don't let it go to a restlessness. Ask God to give you rest and peace. Make sure that you are staying Christ-centered. That is the key. We must learn how to rest in Jesus. We must trust in Sabbath because God's way is one of rest and peace. I believe to serve Jesus is to be busy, but we cannot become restless. The The goal, the job that we're called to do is great. I said at the beginning of our time together that this is kind of like vacation Bible school, and it is for us as adults, but in another way, This ought to be one of the most sobering weeks of our lives as a church. Because when we look at just the partnerships that we have, some 27 partnerships, that's a lot for even a church like this. There's a lot of people that we're called to care for. And all of us, when we come together, I guarantee you, you can come and tell me stories about a a, a place in the world or a missionary in the world or a need in the world that seems so great. This kind of week is good, but it can be overwhelming. I can tell you that that Kelsey bears on her shoulders the weight of trying to figure out how to care for so many great mission partners and to be fair and equitable. This is not an easy thing to do because we can make an argument that the need is great everywhere. And the only way that we are going to be the church that God wants us to be, to be in the will of God, is to be rested, to know the Sabbath of God, to trust in the sovereignty of God, to believe that he has called this church to do great things and he will show us the way. It is not my energy that will make the difference. It is not your energy that will make the difference. It's when we surrender our lives to Jesus that a difference will be made. There is no other way. We need this cathedral in time that is the Sabbath. Great phrase by Abraham Heschel. This cathedral in time, this ability to, in the, in the busyness of life, to stop and let God work on us. We're talking about fasting today because here's the deal. God needs to work on you. You're a piece of work. Okay? Every one of you. But you need God to work on you. You are a beautiful image bearer of God but there's more for you to do. Only after God has worked in us can we get to work for God and be of use for the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you, a tired soul on mission will be less than it should be. This is what I'm seeing in my own life. That even when my heart is, when my mind is like agitated, when I see things out there that I know I need to do, if I don't find the rest of God first, if I don't rest in Him, whatever I do will be much less than what God wants me to do. Maximum capacity is what we want to find, and we cannot find that unless we find our rest in God. We need to look at verse 14. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. So notice this. It's almost like we get a chariot ride with God. When we rest with God, there's a big difference between walking beside the chariot and riding in the chariot. Amen? Uh, There's a big difference between the guy who's in the infantry having to walk everywhere and the guy who gets to fly there, right? First class. Notice this. 
If we try to do ministry apart from fasting and apart from the power of God, all we have are our feet and our marching. But when we fast and find the will of God, when we are rested in him, we ride with him. We are with the sovereign God, and we are able to see God do amazing things. Church, that's what I want to see. We get to the place of radical, world-changing ministry only when we fast and rest. Such an interesting combination here in Isaiah 58. But it's the only way that we'll ever be able to do as he pleases. As we think about what needs to happen today and moving into the rest of Missions Week, I want to give you three simple things to think about, to focus on uh, today and in the days to come. Three simple things. They're not on the screen, but just hear them out. Write them down if you need to. But I'm going to challenge you in three ways. If we are serious about doing things as God pleases, the first thing we need to do is make a commitment to a fast. Now, I'm going to invite you to do a fast on some level this week. That could be a day. That could be a series of days. Some people will sometimes not do lunch for two or three days in a row. And during that normal lunch hour, pray and fast. There is no prescribed method or manner in the scriptures. This is really between you and God. Your health concerns, uh, what you feel led to do, there is no wrong answer here except for to say no to God. <laughs> the only wrong answer is no to God, okay? As the Lord shows you, and if you're not a person that does fasting regularly, let me just say this. Let me just go ahead and say it. Don't try to do all week. You will fail. Do a day, do two days, do a lunch or two. Start there. Listen, fasting needs to start somewhere. And my guess is most of us need to get started. Start somewhere this week. And don't just not eat and complain about it. I'm going to tell you, if your fast is kind of like this where you go to work and say, I'm fasting and I'm angry about it. <laughs> you have wasted your time. Go eat a cheeseburger, all right? Go eat a cheeseburger because you're wasting your time. But if you will start somewhere, I believe that God will begin to show you things about your heart. He will begin to open the window of your soul. Second, this week, in connection with fasting, will you focus on the call God has for your life? One of the dangers we have in modern church life is to think that only people like me and Rich and Johnny and others who are on staff have the call of God. Let me, uh, let me tell you how wrong that is. Every single one of you are called by God. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We believe that every single person has been gifted and called. And I want to ask you this question. Are you less than your calling? As you fast, ask the Lord to help you focus on your call. What are you called to do? And if you know what it is, praise God, but ask God to take you deeper into that call. If you've been ignoring that call, make God open your mind and heart to see it so that you can be the part of this body of Christ you were called to be. I can't wait to see you on fire for God. I can't wait to see your call become clear. There is nothing better. I can, I can confess, I can testify that I had a lot of things going for me when I was 18 and 19. I had a future ahead of me that I thought was bright and brilliant, but there was nothing better than hearing the call of God and chasing after the heart of God instead of my own desires. 
I want you to find that same pleasure in Jesus. Fast, focus on your call, and find rest. For some of you, I think you may be pushing too hard. One of the dangers we have in evangelical life today, we know we need to be soul winners, and we all know we need to do better there. But when we fail, when we share the gospel and it seems to go nowhere, you know what the devil's going to say to you? He's going to say, well, they didn't believe because you're no good at this. The enemy is constantly going to tell you your inadequacies. But I want you to believe that the sovereignty of God is ultimate here. We don't save souls. We're just called to be faithful. When you think that your ministry is what makes the difference, you've lost the concept of the sovereignty of God. And the only way we rediscover the sovereignty of God is in the Sabbath. Let me explain. When you take, now think about it. You take a seventh, one seventh of your week. That's a pretty good chunk. And you say, I'm not going to do anything. And then you watch God do more in that one day than you could do in six then all of a sudden, the sovereignty of God makes more sense to you. You realize that that one-seventh of your life, when you give it to God, God multiplies the other days. Maybe we are seeing subtraction in our ministry because we're not resting in the Lord. We're trying to do it all in our own strength. Listen to me. There is no ministry you can do in your own strength that will make an eternal difference. It is Christ in you that will change the world. Fasting. Focus, finding rest. That's what we need to commit to today if we're going to see this week be a productive missions week. If we are going to have a, an opportunity to turn the corner and go a new direction, we must allow God to do the work. Delight in the Lord. Be satisfied in Jesus. And then, brothers and sisters, let's go on mission together. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.